That's a good song, a uh, good reminder for us, isn't it, Amy? When we uh, have technical issues with microphones and things, it's a good reminder that it is all about Christ and what he has done for us. I wonder uh, for you, uh, what is your reaction when you get good news? Uh, get a job promotion, you hear something exciting. Uh, who do you call first? Who's on your speed dial or on your phone or on your favorites? Or t who do you text first to let them know this thing has happened in your life? Um, maybe it's your spouse or a friend. Or If I hear any basketball news of any sort, especially with Indiana University where I went, I'm texting my college roommate. He texted me just this week. And uh, we're talking about different recruits and things. So it, it, that was my guy that I go to. Who do you go to if something goes wrong or you're stressed or you need to tell about a bad day? You just want to share it with somebody. We call that sort of um, what I would call is that being your uh, default mode. Okay? A default mode is kind of your, your setting, where you head to first, um, what you think of first. It's an automatic response built into an operating system. Uh, and, if you click on email, you can set up a default mode to go to Gmail, Yahoo, whatever account. And uh, different operating systems have different default modes. Now, I don't know if you're a Mac or a PC person, but those are two different operating systems. And within that, you can set up how things react. What is your default mode when it comes to stress in your life? Um, for me, sometimes it's tent my voice gets tense. I just... You can feel it. Um, maybe what is your default mode for celebrating? Maybe you have a certain restaurant you go to or a certain way you celebrate. A default mode is how we react to the different ways of life. Whether it's natural or something we've learned to do or something because of a past experience that has brought us to that. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our default mode is changed. Our operating system is changed. Christ now is to be the center of all we are, and our default mode is to follow Christ and to respond and learn to respond more and more as if Christ were in us. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to James chapter 5, and we're coming to the end of this awesome book of James, and in it we've talked about the idea that James really at his heart, is wanting to see people in this church and the Jews who had been scattered and persecuted, he wants to see them flourish and grow in their faith. And for, for James, it's really a question of, you know, are you joyful? Are you living in a way that shows that Jesus Christ is now your new operating system? He says, the way I know is because I see your faith in action. That's one of his biggest points, is I see your faith and it's put into action. And when I see that, I know that underneath that is a new operating system of Jesus Christ. He's addressed how we get along in the church and how we handle and treat one another equally, no matter what our station in life. He's talked about our words. He's talked about how we are to love widows and the poor. All of these new default modes that we're supposed to have. And so as we come here, James is sort of looping back a little bit and tying into some of his previous themes and adding in what I would call some new uh, default modes for us to look at uh, today. 
And so we're going to start in James uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 7. It says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, your judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering, and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the, compassion, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The first um, default mode that we have is a patient heart, a patient steadfast heart, you may say, or a patient persevering heart. Uh, He goes first here to this example, and he says, look at the farmers. Look at the farmers. They go and they sow and they work the soil, and yet they can't control the rain They know all the systems and put the soil and the seed in the best position for that crop to grow. And yet in the end, they have to be patient and trust in the Lord to provide exactly what is needed for that crop to come up. The same is true with changes in our lives, isn't it? We we work and we get in the word of God. We pray, we put ourselves in this position for the Holy Spirit to change us by Responding in obedience. And then it's the Holy Spirit who grows that peace, patience, love, gentleness, kindness, and even joy. It's supernatural. It grows. Just as that seed is growing under the ground, these changes come about in our lives over time. And even in the midst of suffering and trials, God is at work. You may not feel it, but as you're trusting in him, he's at work bringing about changes in who you are. And so James quickly refers us to that and saying that that's our default mode. We need to establish our hearts, to set our hearts on that hope that the Lord is coming again. Now, I don't know about you, but when I... Uh, begin to get in these situations that are trials and I get worn down. I begin to get frustrated and often I, I just begin to either blame it on others or I can begin grumbling and all of a sudden the community I'm in, little things that used to never even bother me can become pretty painful things or be pretty frustrated and have a shorter fuse with other people even within our community or, or within our family and So James says, look, here's some examples of suffering with patience or with perseverance. Or if you remember in chapter 1, if you were here for that, he says, uh, suffering with joy and trust in the Lord. He he talks first of of the prophets. Now, that's a huge category of people in the Bible. And yet the prophets, many of them would speak out and, and cry out God's word and yet see no response. 
or they may cry out and say what is coming for the nation of Israel, but they themselves never got to see the fruit, see the results of what the Lord had them do. And yet they were patient. Uh, they trusted in the Lord and they spoke the name of the Lord. And they were blessed and they were remembered by the people of God. Then he remembers and he refers to Job. Now, did you know that Job is unique in the Bible? Because Job, I believe, is where country music got its start. Because he lost his wife, his kids, he probably lost his dogs, his cattle, uh, probably lost his favorite truck. Um, but the good news is if you play it backwards in a country song, you get everything back. So um, no offense, country music fans, but it's kind of a, a tending of those tunes. But as you look at Job and his life, all the struggles and trials he went through, he came to a point where he got back to the heart of worship and he realized, it's all about my relationship with you, Lord. I mean, his friends bailed on him, said it must be because of your sin, you must have done something wrong. And even he got to a point where he had the opportunity, the amazing opportunity to talk with God, and we got let in on that conversation. God reminded him who he is and that he is in control. And I find it interesting that James then just kind of does a Jamesian thing and just says, by the way, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, it's almost as if he's writing and he remembers these teachings of his half-brother Jesus. And Jesus talked about not giving oaths. And I think when we're in the midst of stressful times or trying to persevere, and um, he said in the first chapter it ties in he said you know what you don't want to be double-minded tossed and back by your circumstances wondering where you're at say yes let it be your yes and that builds community it builds trust and it's okay to say no uh, i've said that so many times to folks as we get busy in our world it's okay to say no sometimes the most godly thing you can do is just say no i can't right now and so uh, being people of our word and consistent with what we say and not saying one thing and doing the other helps us to develop that patience with one another and patience in our suffering. And as we, we move forward, he begins to look at different situations and circumstances in life. He says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Let the prayer uh, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working or has great power in its effect is uh, solid translation there and it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it didn't rain on the earth then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit so he begins here and he says you know what your, your default mode what is it when trials come that word suffering is this broad category covers a lot of different kinds of events in our lives the default mode, he says, should be prayer. He says, what about when, when things are going really good? 
Well, praising God is prayer, because prayer is simply talking to God. It's, it can be thanking Him out loud, talking. It could be singing to the Lord. So when things go well, we shouldn't forget the Lord and just move on. We should stop and say, Lord, thank you, praise you for how things are going. That should be our default mode. So I wonder for you this morning, when things happen in your life, um, what is your default mode? When I do premarital counseling, I like to point this out, that there's inward people and outward people, or you might have heard it in uh, your relationship. Maybe one of you is a fighter and one of you is a flighter when you have conflict. Some people like to ignore it and bottle it up inside until it explodes. Others like to just get it all out right there. And uh, there are different combinations and there's different ways we can work it out in any marriage. But uh, inward or outward. If you're inward, you could have things happen to you and it weighs you down. You get frustrated. Lord, why is this happening to me? Oh man, I messed up again. These things always, you're like Eeyore. Oh, it's raining, and you feel like the cloud is only above your head raining. And uh, then there's those who are outward, and you start to think about circumstances. Or, well, if this person wouldn't have done that, or I'm not like them, why is this happening to me? And you start to say, well, it's their fault, or it's because this happened. And we start to look outward and try to find reasons and answers for what's going on in our life. And we begin to look everywhere and look for what's going on. And I think my default mode with Jesus or without Jesus in my life would probably tend to be outward. Um, It would probably tend to be, well, that stop sign was in the wrong place, so I shouldn't have gotten a ticket. I've tried that before when I was younger. (laughs) I would try to, you know, and that came out in our premarital counseling Kevin, uh, you're punitive, my dad said, and we did these personality tests, and you like to see justice served, Um, but it was actually, you like to see your justice served, so I had to learn that. Uh, I even got to go to court over, I was turning left, but this big semi blocked the light, so I went to court over that. Why? Because we were going to look at engagement rings or something for our wedding, and, and, uh, and I just couldn't let it go for a long time, and I was like, man, that... That's a default mode I need to work on. I'm always looking outward or trying to find a reason or a place to blame or to find justice somewhere, something to make the, the, it even. And you know what? It can be pretty frustrating when we get caught in that inward-looking or that outward-looking loop. And so as we look at these default modes, I wonder, is your default mode upward? I think it's what James is getting to at the heart of this. <laughs> it's when things happen, is Jesus the first one on your favorites list, your speed dial? Are you talking to God? Do you bring things to him? Is your default mode to think of, Lord, where are you at work in this? Lord, I need your help in this. Or is it to rely on yourself to get yourself out? Or is it, Lord, I don't get it. I just need to talk to you about this because I don't get what you're doing. So our default mode needs to be upward. And so when Jesus is at the center of our operating system, we reset our default mode to upward. He begins to work through the Holy Spirit in our life to change how we respond, not only to one another, but to the world. That's part of our testimony is when the world looks and they're like, you used to get pretty angry at that, but you don't anymore. Why is that? 
then you have an opportunity to share how God has been faithful in your life. Now, as we move forward into this passage, and we look at verses 14 to 18, depending on your background, you probably heard these preached maybe one or two or three or four different ways. And part of my view of this role of preaching is that sometimes it's also teaching and showing you all, well, here's how I've come to understand this scripture. And when there is legitimate disagreement or different viewpoints from fellow believers who are all going to be in heaven together, then I like to point that out and say, well, here's why I ended up in this camp, and then allow you to wrestle with it on your own and say, well, what do I believe about that? I, don't, I often don't like to get up here and just preach through it as if I have the only right interpretation or application of a passage that can be a little hard to understand. And these are some verses that are pretty well known for being challenging to understand. Um, so the first way that you see this taken is in the historical Roman Catholic Church. And the questions surrounding this really are, what does it mean whenever they say the person who is sick? What kind of healing is referred to? What, why do we call in the elders? What about this idea of confessing sin and what is oil and anointing all about? So these are some of the challenges and then some of these statements about they will be healed. What is that talking about? Well, the first is in the Roman Catholic Church, um, they hold a view in their doctrine, in their writings, that scripture and tradition have equal authority and sometimes tradition can trump over um, the authority of Scripture. We believe in the authority of Scripture as the top authority, and we work under the headship of Christ. And so they have a, a thing called extreme unction, which is built on these verses and calling a priest in and praying over and dealing with sins and confession, trying to get somebody who's about to die in the right spot or asking for healing. And, and so they would use it with as a priestly function or sacrament to keep it simple. Um, and then we have on the other extreme, name it and claim it. Um, this is an abuse we've seen in our world where somebody will take a, a verse like this and just pull it out of its context and say, come up now and, and be blessed if you just have enough faith and claim this. You will be healed and I can heal you. And then the offering plate is passed. I mean, we've seen this or the number goes up on the screen and it's as if that one person is the conduit for God and everyone they talk to can heal. And if you don't get healed, it's your fault. There's something wrong with you. And so we've seen that abuse or that extreme of taking this or taking other passages and naming it and claiming it, and then often we find other personal or financial gain connected to it. And it's a very painful thing to see for the bride of Christ within our culture. Now these last two are what I would call some variation of these two are where most evangelicals or uh, those who try to handle the scriptures as the authority. And so... Uh, the first would be physical and spiritual, and the other would be a spiritual aspect. And so uh, the spiritual aspect would be to come to this passage and say, this is talking about, James is talking about suffering, he's talking about people who are weak spiritually and struggling um, and really weak in their faith. 
They need to call upon the elders and that every healing that takes place, it's not physical, but rather a restoration of one's faith. And it ties in with this idea of confessing sins and getting right with the Lord. Uh, and then there's the take where, in the camp where I've kind of fall into it says I read that and I understand the structure and the Greek language the word sick usually means sick physically uh, and there are times when it doesn't mean that but the most of the time that Greek word is used for sick that's what it means is physically sick and the idea of having to call the elders to come to them has this idea that they're sick enough they can't be a part of the body of Christ. And yes, I agree that there's a spiritual aspect to that where faith is struggling. You're wondering where God is at and you need ministry there. But I also see that this is not out of line for James to be working through a thought and then to throw in the idea of being physically sick. We saw he just did that. He's talking about a whole subject and he said, oh, and by the way, don't take oaths. So he has a tendency to throw in his ideas and, and whatever's popping into his head. And so as we come to this and this idea of somebody being sick, we have this idea of coming and asking the elders of the church. And why do you do that? Do the elders have different value than anyone else in the body? Well, now Peter tells us we're a priesthood of believers. But in Acts we read that the elders... Uh, the apostles in that early time, the leaders of the church, the pastors are to focus on the teaching of the word and prayer. And so it's a function. And as even as Paul lays out what elders are, one of our roles is they call us shepherds. And shepherds are to care for the flock and to go and to be the ones who are uh, deemed and seen by the congregation as mature and able to bring in truth into situations and comfort and guide and Pray over people who are indeed sick. And so as we come through that and we think of that, the idea here is that the elders should be called because they're the ones who to be the ones you go to when you get sick, when you get have a need, when you are unable to come to the people of the Lord and be amongst them. And so certainly I think that we have this idea of oil and anointing. And even within different pictures, there's different interpretations of that. We know that oil was commonly used for healing and for a medicinal use. Uh, but this is a broad stroke, and we know oil wasn't used for every single kind of sickness. And so uh, in the Old Testament, as James is well-schooled in the Old Testament writings, uh, oil is often a symbol and used for setting apart. We talked about it last week, if you were here, about the setting apart of the priest and the pouring of oil when all the tribes came together in unity, that psalm that talks about that. And so this oil, I see it as a symbol of setting apart for the work of the Lord, going and saying, Lord, we're setting this person apart. We are trusting in you and we are covering them in prayer. And even the, the picture of the elders here that is described as this idea of almost laying on of hands, coming and covering somebody in prayer. And it says, then it moves on and it talks about the idea of confessing our sins to one another. In 1 John it says, confess your sins. And God will be faithful and true, and he will forgive us of our sins. And that was written to believers. 
we understand we are completely forgiven. It's like with your spouse. You're completely in, lo in love and you have situations where you know you've done wrong. She knows you've done wrong, but when you verbalize it and you confess it, it heals your relationship. And it actually strengthens your relationship. The same is true with the Lord. As we confess our sins to Him, we grow in our relationship with Him. There's something powerful about naming our sins. And when we go and we sin against one another, one of the best habits we can have, and we even talked about in our teams this morning, is go to the person that you have a struggle with and tell them directly. That's what Jesus said to do. It's amazing. It's so awkward for us to do, but when we do that, the amount of growth we have, and God brings us and knits us together when we're willing to talk through things. And so there's power here, and I think it's a good example here that he gives us that we are to confess to one another. And yet, we come here to the real sticking point, and it says, the one who prays will be healed. What do we believe about healing? What do you believe about healing? and prayer well we believe and i believe god is powerful his power has not changed he's the same yesterday as he was today and as he will be in the future he is all powerful and i believe god heals he has the power to do that god hears and answers prayer god still intervenes in our world in the manner in which he chooses and i trust in the lord and so there, that leads us to another question. It says, well, the prayer offered in faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up if he has committed sins, and he will be forgiven. And I certainly think that's why I think there's a spiritual aspect to that. We look, and James always points us to the end times, the Lord's return, where he will raise us up, and ultimately we will be with him. And so we look at that ultimate forgiveness of sins. But we also see here that God is powerful and he heals. So the prayer offered in faith. How many of you have ever prayed so fervently and just been, Lord, heal this person, heal me, and not gotten the answer you wanted? What's that all about? It's hard, right? When we go before the Lord and we say, Lord, I want you to do this. So what kind of faith, what kind of faith is being referred to here in this passage what does it mean when it says the prayer offered in faith well i dug deeply into this i called some of the men in this church and talked to them well how do you handle this let's talk through this and i just wanted to wrestle with it um, one author that i read um, said this um, he said that john blanchard said you know what this is wrong to come to this passage and think that it is saying, if I believe, I believe, if I really believe, I truly believe, if I double believe, it's going to happen. It's all on us and, and our belief. He said, no, this kind of belief, this kind of faith, we understand it's a gift from God, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. He says the prayer offered in faith is circular in shape. It begins and ends in heaven and trust in the sovereign will of God. And so Douglas Moo, I think he's at Moody, uh, said this, and I love this 
picture. He says, faith in James is a wholehearted, unwavering commitment to and trust in God. This faith includes confidence in God's power to answer and involves absolute confidence in the perfection of God's will. And so I know that we can often pray, Lord, I, heal, heal me if it is your will. But I think we can just pray, Lord, heal me. And we'll find out what his will is. But we need to trust and have confidence in his perfect control. And sometimes we get to see the results of that unanswered prayer and say, oh man, Lord, that was so much better. You are glorified by that answer. I get it. And other times I'm just left with only the trust and the character of God and saying, okay, I don't get this tragedy, Lord, but I'm trusting in you in the midst of it. I don't know why you didn't answer these prayers. And trust me, we've had to walk through that. Randy and Karen and I and my dad, we prayed so hard for my mom for that disease to reverse itself, but he didn't do that. But now to see even a few years out from that, how God has used that in each of our lives and to minister to other people, he never lets it return void. He uses everything for his glory and for our good, whether we understand it or not. But I think that's why James always points us back to heaven. He says upward, it's like, listen, in the end, you're all going to be there together. If you don't have that confidence and that hope, then that's where you are going to struggle. And then he says, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, who are the righteous? Well, James tells us the righteous are those who are committed to keeping Jesus at the center of their life and responding to life with an upward default mode. It's not the perfect. It's the one to say, I went back to my old way. I got angry there. Lord, help me to improve in this. Help me to grow. It's the ones who have sins to confess because we've messed up when we talk to one another. And so that's the picture we have when we come to this is is that we can go to one another for prayer, it says, and we can call the elders for prayer. And I've done that, and I've got a little thing on my keychain. I had a man sick in the hospital, just went in and bought just some oil to anoint him and pray and set him apart for the Lord and say, Lord, we are at the end of everything we know. We need you to intervene. We want to be a community of faith that trusts in the Lord but a place where people aren't shaken when they don't get the answer they want. They, they have confidence and trust and joy in the midst of trials. Why? Because we know that ultimately the Lord is with us and surrounding us. And so as we look at this and we talk about this and we work for it, interestingly, James chooses this character to point out to us, Elijah. Now for us, we might choose Billy Graham or some name like that. Elijah was the hero. I mean, he's the guy they looked to. He got taken away in a chariot. He, he stood on that mountaintop, doused, doused his uh, pile of sticks with water, let it soak with a trench around it, looked at the other people praying to their false gods, never got an answer. Then he prayed, all that soaked, everything, boom, consuming fire came down. Interestingly, uh, we read here that he prayed for a drought to happen, and then he prayed for it to stop. In the scriptures, we have him recorded praying for it to stop, but now we know he actually is the one who prayed for that drought to start. How on earth can we live up to that? (laughs) How on earth can we live up to Elijah's faith? It seems pretty unattainable. Why is he using him as an example? Well, what does he say? 
It's a key line we often overlook. Elijah was a man just like us. Or your Bible might say, Elijah had a nature just like ours. He was a sinner. He struggled. And yet God used him. That's encouraging to me this morning that God can use each and every one of us and work in us and give us his patience and give us this new default mode of trusting in him. Isn't that amazing this morning? And so if we look close at this, we understand that he had sin, he had brokenness, and yet he looked upward. And so faith-filled prayer is attainable in our lives. And trusting in the Lord is attainable in our lives. Elijah even got to a point where he was so discouraged and the ravens were bringing him bread and yet he continually went to the Lord and even had to be brought back to focusing on the Lord. But then James, uh, I love James. I'm so sad to be done with him. but He, he doesn't end with a benediction or a, a see you later or I hope to see you soon greeting. He ends with, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And so he reminds us that with all these things going on, our default mode as believers is rescuers. He ends with the fact that, listen, it's great to see somebody healed and recover from sickness in our time. But even, even Lazarus was raised from the dead, and he eventually died again. Healing is good. It's a testimony to who God is. But ultimately, the number one need we all have is spiritual healing, a right relationship with the Lord. And our number one role is to rescue others. And as I work with people and talk with people man, I don't know if they ever were a believer. My son is straight away, my daughter, my friend is turning against the faith. Or this person, they've never given God the time of day. I tell them, you know what? I've learned not to try and figure out whether they ever made a decision or not because what they need is the gospel. Whether you are struggling and you're weak in your faith or you're rebelling against the Lord or whether you've never trusted in the Lord, the gospel's the answer. We have to come and return and understand what Christ did on the cross and the fact that he rose again from the grave and that he is the one who brings ultimate healing and eternal life and hope in the midst of all of these circumstances. That's why Paul writes, and this is a passage that I've been encouraging people to memorize the last half of 2 Corinthians 5. From, not, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. When we look on the world now, our default mode sees people in need of a Savior because I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm broken. And the only hope I have is in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, this he says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has gone and the new has come the old has passed away the new default mode is here in our lives and so we believe god is powerful god heals god hears and answers prayer it says amy comes up to lead us in our final song um, a young one and in jerome and uh, pastor bob 
when he gets back from getting the kids. They're just going to be back here by this back hoop. And if you need prayer today for anything, not, nothing too small, nothing too big, they would just love to pray for you. And that will be available after the service, but also during this final song, if you want to walk back and just be prayed over confidentially and loved on, um, we are here to serve you. I could not preach this without offering what it's telling us to do, to pray over one another and encourage one another. And so... Uh, let me pray and then we'll sing. And if you need prayer or encouragement for anything, um, you can walk on to the back at your own timing. Heavenly Father, we thank